listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everybody. Uh, So we're starting a new series today. We're going to be working through, for the next four weeks, the four books, uh, sorry, the four chapters in the book of Philippians. Uh, This series is called Think on These Things. And and kind of the book of Philippians, um, uh, so Paul is writing from jail. Uh, And depending on kind of which date you accept, uh, he's either kind of writing it from a jail in Ephesus or he's writing it from Rome, which I think is probably more likely. But this is kind of the, the point in time where he's in Rome and he's nearing the end of his life. I mean, he's approaching his uh, eventual execution and he kind of, he kind of knows that. Um, <clears throat> so uh, he started the church in Philippi during a second missionary journey. And while he was there in Philippi is where the story took place, where Paul and Silas were in the cell and they're, they're praying and worshiping. And then the, the jail kind of collapses and they kind of walk out. Um, so Paul kind of seems to be writing this letter in response to questions from Philippi. And uh, I'd be curious, to, like, I'm sure they were probably like dying to know, like, hey, last time you were in jail here, like, that happened. Like, how's it going this time? And Paul's like, no, no, I'm in jail. Like, it seems to be sticking this time. So uh, he, um, so kind of the, the, the purpose of the letter seems to be to kind of encourage the church in, in Philippi, the Philippian church, to, to remain faithful to the gospel. And uh, that's difficult for a few reasons. One, uh, they're kind of experiencing the same kind of persecution that Paul is. Uh, you know, they, they are getting pressure from the authorities to kind of stop, and they're having to kind of struggle to remain faithful to the gospel. And, uh, and the other thing Paul kind of mentions, and it's the thing that kind of tripped me up as I was writing this sermon, because I wasn't planning on kind of dwelling on this, but it really just kind of seems to, I don't know, it just really seemed to be something that I kept coming back to, is that Paul's talking about other people who are preaching the gospel, um, out of spite or out of rivalry, uh, not sincerely, but out of selfish ambition. And uh, man, if that just doesn't kind of uh, resonate with what I'm seeing today, like, I don't know if I'm alone in that. I don't know if you all feel that too, but just there's a lot of that, I feel like. I feel like I struggle to remain faithful to a gospel in a world where other people are presenting or claiming to present the same gospel, but are doing it either wrongly or wrongheadedly, you know, does that, am I alone in that? Does that seem, that's, that's, that's a hard thing. And, and so this book really, to me, is kind of speaking to me where I'm at. And it's, it's hard. It's a struggle uh, for me to kind of keep on and to kind of um, keep on in benevolence when I feel like there's so much um, harm that's being done in the name of the gospel. So, um, <laughs> uh, two things I think that are kind of noteworthy about this letter uh, is Paul's kind of profound optimism. Uh, so, like I said, he's in jail. He's awaiting his kind of eventual trial and death. Uh, things aren't going great for him. Uh, you know, things, if you know anything about Paul, things never really did. Uh, <laughs> he didn't have an easy go of it. He had a really hard time uh, doing what he did. 
And um, the way that he's kind of talking in this letter really belies the severity of his present circumstances. Paul is in a Roman jail, and he's addressing kind of his impending death head on. He says, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. For if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. He's saying, like, hey, I'm kind of... uh, you know, it's kind of win-win for me. Like I either kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to die and I'm going to go be with Christ or I'm going to stay here and I'm going to keep on working and things are, you know, I'm going to keep on accomplishing what I'm put here to do. And so, hey, kind of win-win for me. And it's, it's uh, kind of macabre. You know, Paul seems to kind of have almost like a, uh, like a death wish, but it's not. I, I think that sincerely he kind of sees uh, the, the, the hope in both things. And so kind of that tone is present throughout the whole letter. He uh, speaks from this kind of um, uh, uh, perspective of glee. Uh, he says, constantly praying with joy. In that I rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. He talks about his eager expectation and hope, joy in the faith. Uh, in jail, he's saying this. And so I love, I love uh, the graphic that Carol made for this series because... You know, it's this kind of dark prison cell, but the most, the, the prominent thing you see in it is this beam of light that kind of comes in, and that's kind of Paul's whole MO in this letter. This letter is all about the gospel. He is encouraging the church in Philippi to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel to Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and you are in no way intimidated by your opponents. So Paul is kind of telling the church, uh, he's updating them on how he's faring, preaching the gospel, and he's encouraging them to do the same, to keep on being faithful to that gospel, to keep on sharing and defending and living in the gospel. And he's kind of saying like, hey, I'm hoping to come see you, but whether I come and see you or whether I just kind of hear how you're doing, kind of, if I hear about you, if I hear your reputation, uh, I want to hear that it's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And um, like I said, the thing that kept on tripping me, tripping me up as I, as, I, as I wrote this sermon and kind of thought through these and prayed through these ideas is that this idea that uh, he's calling them to do that in a world where um, the gospel is uh, being kind of mishandled. And that's hard. Uh, it's hard for me. And so kind of how uh, Paul is kind of checking in with the church in Philippi, I kind of want to check in with the church in America. Um, it's, not, it's not good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, this shouldn't be shocking to you all. We've heard statistics like this. I'm going to give you some numbers. Uh, and I remember when I was in college um, a long time ago, when I started Southeastern. We were talking about the numbers then, kind of how the kind of the state of the church in the U.S. and kind of how things are going. And you know, we all kind of were talking about the decline of uh, kind of Christian spirituality in the U.S. How uh, people who profess to be Christians are kind of um, in decline. And so, uh, since I've been in college, things have gotten worse and not better. So, in 2009, 77% of Americans identified as Christian. So 77% of people living in the U.S. self-identified as Christian. I'm a Christian. Um, Today, just 10 years later, so that's 2009 to 2019, that number has dropped to 65%. So from 77% to 65%, 2009 to 
to 65%. It's hard to kind of wrap your head around what that means. That's 40 million people from 77% of the US population to 65%, the 17% drop, uh, I'm sorry, not 17%, yeah, 17% drop is, no, I'm sorry, 12% drop is 40 million people. In the same span of time, the number of people who identify as having no religious affiliation, so having some religious affiliation 10 years ago to saying that they have no religious affiliation went from 17% up to 26%. Among people in my generation, people in my age group, my demographic, right? I'm 35 years old, so people who are kind of my age, the stage in life. Here, 35s? Yeah. Uh, among people in my age group who grew up in church, so this is my people, right? I grew up in church. 90% uh, of us, at some point or another, made a personal decision to follow Christ. And that, that's kind of a good number. We want to hear numbers like that, right? Kids growing up in church, 90% of them, at one point in their young life, made a decision to follow Christ. Uh, you fast forward to when they're my age, when they're 35, and 78% of them have left the faith altogether. Only 22% remain. Among people leaving the church, millennials, people kind of my age and younger, depending on what measure you use, kind of people born after 1981, Young people, millennials, outnumber every other age group that's leaving the church two to one. Young people are fleeing the church in staggering numbers. They're not buying what we're selling. Like I said, it doesn't look good. And like I said, we've been hearing numbers like this for a while. And kind of my observation whenever we kind of talk numbers like this is people kind of respond in one of two ways. The first response that I hear is people say, well, we need to do uh, what we're doing more. Like we need, to, we need more and newer programs. We need more and newer updated presentation methods. We need, I don't know, fog machines and 4K projectors, which are fine. You know, I, if, hey, if someone wants to donate a 4K projector, I'd love to have a 4K projector in this room. It'd be great. But, that's kind of the first response is like, well, we just kind of need to update the, the, the methodology of how we're kind of presenting. And I don't think that's right. I don't, uh, as a recovering young person, like as a person who's uh, quickly becoming not that young, um, I can speak for us, it, that's not why. That's not why we're leaving the church because there aren't enough fog machines and electric guitars. It's not what it is, I promise. The second response, and the, kind of the more bewildering response to me, is to kind of blame secularism on secularism, to kind of respond with kind of anger or animosity towards the people that were failing, which is kind of, it makes no sense to me. We, we're kind of taking, uh, lo we're looking at the decline of religion and blaming the church's problems on it, instead of taking a look at the church's problems and blaming ourselves for the decline of religion. And I think it's kind of backwards. I think we're kind of putting the cart before the horse there. So I think in order, for our, in order for us to kind of find our way to a solution, we must have a clear and sober evaluation of the problem. The problem isn't the presentation, and the effect is not the cause. Americans are not leaving the church because what is being presented is uh, not being presented well, or it's not kind of um, being done in a way that's uh, kind of cool or updated or hip or modern, people are leaving the church, young people especially are leaving the church, because what is being presented as the gospel, I think, isn't. I think that what we're calling good news 
isn't particularly good or new. Like, I think that uh, what's passing for the gospel, kind of what they're, I, w- I want to take a look at kind of what they're rejecting, because they're not rejecting Jesus. They're not saying no, they're not, they're not getting a, an image of Jesus and saying no to that. They're fine with Jesus. They like Jesus a lot, turns out. But it's, it's, it's how and what is being presented to them, I think, that uh, is kind of um, at issue here. So we kind of have to start with this big question, uh, what is the gospel? Now, uh, I, I have the benefit, th- this kind of section of the sermon is going to be kind of a, a little bit of a distillation from a lot of conversations that we had in our previous lab section, which is where we, it was called, what is the gospel? And so we kind of, um, I have the benefit of having had a lot of really uh, great kind of conversations with some of you. And so for those of you who are in there, some of this will be a little bit of a repeat. But for those of you who weren't there, some of this might be a little bit challenging. Uh, I'm going to be honest. It might be a little bit challenging. So um, if you don't like what I'm saying, you can blame the people who came to labs because this is all kind of from the conversation I had, I had from them. So I want to tell you about three Gospels that I received uh, growing up, because I'm going to be honest with you, uh, I was very close to being a part, kind of on the other end of that demographic, growing up in the church, um, but for finding a place like Oasis, I probably wouldn't be in church. I don't know if I'd be professing faith, I certainly wouldn't be in ministry. Um, a safe place like this, and safe people like you all uh, played no small, small part in helping me to be where I'm at, and I like where I'm at, and I want to thank you all for that. Um, but I, I kind of have to go back and kind of reevaluate. So I, I think the gospel was kind of presented to me in three parts or in three layers or kind of in three versions, and I want to kind of talk to that. The first gospel that I want to talk about is the gospel of personal salvation, Right, And this is kind of, the, I think, the most common, if you say, hey, uh, what is the gospel? This would probably be the most common response that you get. Uh, and it's the gospel that's kind of presented as the Romans road or kind of the four spiritual laws where it's, it's uh, you know, kind of the gospel is distilled to saying that we'll all have sinned and the wages of sin is death and Christ died for our sins. And if we ABC, if we uh, admit, believe, confess, then we are kind of granted uh, admission to heaven when we die. Um, by this measure, this gospel is solely or at least primarily concerned with personal salvation. It's all about me going to heaven when I die or when Christ returns. Uh, and so kind of uh, my Christian faith was primarily about getting myself into heaven. And then my Christian spirituality was equal parts kind of an obligation to preach that gospel to other people and to avoid sinning when I could. Like that was kind of the, those were kind of the three things, like getting to heaven, uh, sharing that gospel, and then not sinning. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember a, a trip that I went on with my youth group um, where we kind of, we, we got in a van or a couple vans and we drove kind of um, across the eastern seaboard and we did a human video. Does anyone know what a human video is? It's, um, it's really badly named because 
Um, it's, it's not a video. Uh, you, you do it live. It's not videotaped. It has nothing to do with video. And I don't know. I didn't feel particularly human when I did it either. So <laughs> I don't think, uh, I don't want to knock that art form. It's, a lot of people take human videos very seriously. Um, but we would kind of perform this thing. And then afterwards, we would present the gospel as this. And we would kind of um, ambush people in public places and kind of ask them to um, pray this prayer with us to kind of get, make this decision. And when we did, when we kind of uh, coerced someone into saying these words with us, we'd go back to the van and we'd huddle up and we'd high five because we just kind of shared the gospel. We, we, we did it. Like we got one, like someone made a decision to follow Christ. And look, I, I don't want to overstate what I'm not trying to say. I don't want to, I don't want to overextend what I'm trying to say. Um, I believe in personal salvation. I believe a personal salvation is a big part of the gospel. I'm saying it's not the totality of the gospel. And it's not even necessarily uh, kind of the, the uh, most straightforward presentation of the gospel because it's not how Jesus talked about it. It's not how Jesus didn't talk about the kingdom, which is kind of how his gospel language came in the form of kingdom. Jesus didn't talk about getting us to heaven. He talked about getting heaven here. Does that, does that make sense to you all? Like, we talk, we, we act as though, and I know that, I, I don't think I'm, I don't think, I think we're all on board with that idea that it's not about, it's not just about us going to God, it's about God coming to us, not just as kind of a, an escape pod or a lifeboat off of this planet when we die, but because God has something to do here. God has something to do now on this planet, on this, in this world, in us. And I think the reason why people are kind of having a hard time with this gospel is because it seems to be, uh, at least when it's kind of presented in this two-dimensional way, it's, it's, uh, it's impotent to address the things that people see and the brokenness that people see in the world around us. A, a gospel that's made all about personal salvation, we remand Jesus to the position of kind of secretary of afterlife affairs, like he's our travel agent. He's our travel agent. He's like our insurance agent to like just keep, his job is to punch our ticket when we die, and that's it. But when we do that, we accept Jesus as Savior, but we kind of deny him as Lord. We kind of say, Jesus, we want you to, to help us get to heaven, but we don't want you to affect the changes that you seem to be talking about in the Gospels on earth. We don't, we don't need that. We don't want that. And that's what people are rejecting. Not because the idea of personal salvation is wrong or, or it's, it's incomplete. It's, it's kind of maybe one half of the equation at most. People are rejecting this two-dimensional presentation of the gospel because it has no apparent bearing on the real world. A church that has its head in the clouds does not appeal to the concerns of a generation who sees the brokenness of the world under their feet. A gospel that doesn't feed the hungry isn't good news. A gospel that doesn't tend to the sick isn't good news. A gospel that cannot break the cycle of endless war is not good news. A gospel that fails to speak to the endemic suffering of people of color is no gospel at all. And we scratch our heads and wonder why our churches are functionally segregated. Because we don't, we're not saying the gospel is for you if we're saying that the gospel can't address the problems that you're facing. And you can insert any people group in that. We're pushing them out the doors. You've heard the phrase, uh, to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. This is kind of what I'm getting at. Like you've heard that cliche before. All right, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> it gets better. 
So, are you all still with me? Everyone good? Okay. I'm not pushing you all out the door? We're good? All right. It gets better later. For, it's going to get worse first. So. <laughs> Uh, I, every time I write a sermon, there's like part of me that's like, yeah, yeah, this is good. But then there's also part of me that's like, man, I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> so hopefully this isn't the one. So the second gospel that I was given is the prosperity gospel. Oh, <laughs> look, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I could stand up here and dunk on the prosperity gospel all day. Um, I could. I'd like it. It'd be fun for me. Uh, not for you. You all didn't come to hear me go yard on the prosperity gospel. But this was kind of the second layer of the salvation gospel that I was taught. Like this was kind of the salvation gospel was kind of the, the foundation. And then the prosperity gospel kind of was put on top of that. And this gospel taught me that along with the promise of personal salvation, that while I'm alive, the mark of the believer, of a believer in Jesus is health, wealth, influence, and success. In this gospel, our level of success in life is directly tied to our degree of faith. If we get sick, it's because of a lack of faith. If we fall on financial hardships, it is the working of an absence of faith. If we want more money and if we want more influence, if we want a better job, a better house, if we want our kids to act right, we just need to increase our faith. Uh, and then the most insidious versions of this typically involve kind of soliciting large financial gifts in exchange for God's favor. Like there's kind of a transaction part of it that's really, ugh, I don't like it. Not a fan, y'all. Uh, this gospel is an easy one for me to reject. And like I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Because if we accept Jesus as any kind of example of living a Christian life, he, this, watermark, this can't be considered a measure of the same. Like, or Paul or any of the disciples, or the martyrs, or the, church father, or the church mothers and fathers, like, or the prophets, or anyone, like all of them, we can disregard everything they have to say because clearly they led faithless lives, all of them. So we, all, everything they say is suspect. Because if they had been living a life of faith, then they would have not suffered the way that they did. So like I said, this is an easy one to reject, but I feel compelled to bring it up for a few reasons. Uh, one, it's pervasive. Like, I, I, we might be able to kind of, in its most cartoonish form, say, well, I don't, I don't buy into that. Uh, but it's, it kind of nonetheless seeps in to a lot of things that we say and a lot of things that we believe, a lot of the ways that we pray. Um, so that's one reason why I feel compelled to bring it up. The other and kind of more important reason I bring it up is kind of in, in, the, in the conversation of why people are kind of leaving the church uh, it's because the, the, the people who, kind of the proponents of this kind of gospel, and it's, we call it that, we call it the prosperity gospel, uh, are some of the loudest voices, most visible faces, and most recognizable names out there. And whether you and I kind of want to be lumped in, like we might take some small comfort and say, well, I don't, I'm not like, I don't, I don't buy into that, like that's not me. But whether we want to or not, we're lumped in with that. Like, whether we, whether we want to be or not, that's, when they reject us, it's, that's who they're thinking of. Like, that, does that make sense? Uh, we don't get to choose not to be lumped in with that kind of branding of the gospel. And I wish it were different. I wish I didn't have to kind of put an asterisk by Christian when I confess my faith. Like, I, well, I'm a Christian. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not that kind of. You know, I wish I could say oh, I'm a pastor. Wait, wait, wait. 
hear me out. <laughs> you know, I wish I didn't have to kind of put a little asterisk by my name to say, to kind of disclaim, like, no, no, I'm not. We, we're, we're getting lumped in with all of that. So I feel compelled to bring it, uh, to, to bring that up. Um, the third layer, the third gospel that I received is going to be probably the hardest one to talk about for me because um, it's, it's something that I think, uh, I think that kind of maybe the first two things that we talked about here are things that we're all kind of at least on some level aware of. This is one that I think um, is present and active, but maybe, uh, maybe we're less aware of it. It's not expressed so overtly that it's easy to identify, but the third gospel that I, I was taught was the American gospel. Uh, it was presented to me in a way that's kind of far less explicit than the first two, and so I think either because of that or despite that, it's harder to kind of nail down. In short, it's Christian nationalism. It's the mingling of my Christian and American identities and the abiding conviction that somehow America is called to be God's agent in his activity in the world. It's the idea that, that God is going to use our nation uh, to do what he's doing on the earth. And then therefore, it is the responsibility of American Christians to promote the church's agenda through political means. I don't want to talk about this. I am the most conflict-averse person you will ever meet, and I am especially reticent on the topic of politics, especially in mixed company, and I'm especially aware that Oasis is very mixed company. <laughs> but if we're gonna have an earnest conversation about why people, and particularly young people, are jumping ship from the church, we have to address this. And to do it, I wanna take a look at a story in 2 Kings. Um, we don't have this on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you if that's all right, and then we'll kind of talk about it for a second. At that time, King Merodach Baladan, son of, okay, well, the king of Babylon sent, <laughs> the king of Babylon sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the king in Israel, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? From where did they come to you? Hezekiah answered, they've come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? Isaiah asked, and he said, Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your ancestors have stored up until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your own sons who are born to you shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. What's happening here is Hezekiah, in his efforts to kind of um, gain favor, to gain kind of political favor, to gain kind of, uh, to, to show himself as being a major player 
in the geopolitical world of the Middle East in his day, in his time. And invites, he welcomes these envoys from Babylon, and he shows them He shows them his military strength. He shows them his wealth. He shows them the size of his domain. He shows him his spices. Everything, everything that he has to boast in, he shows them. He boasts it. He does it. He, and he he wants so badly to be a political player that he welcomes people who would be his enemies and say, "Hey, look, this is what we got." And Isaiah warns him, "If you carry down this road." The next generation is lost to you. If you keep on doing what you're doing, if you, if you keep on trying to be the political figure that you are, your sons are gone. And Hezekiah's response, I think, is tragic. He says, so what? As long as I'm able to secure security in my time, as long as I'm able to accomplish the things that I'm trying to do, what does it matter to me what happens to the next generation? And I'm worried, I'm terrified, that this is kind of how the church is being right now. I'm worried that because we're trying so hard to be a political player, that we're trying to be at the table where decisions are made and we're trying to use our goodwill and our resources to try and affect political advantage in, 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 this, in this kind of, uh, in the political arena, that we're being warned that, hey, if we, if we do this, you're losing the next generation. And our response is, so what? As long as we get to do the things that we're trying to do. We can't, we can't respond that way. We can't hoist the next generation onto the altar of whatever political agenda we have. We'll lose them. It'll be the albatross that hangs around our neck for the next 50, 75 years. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> so let's, let's uh, return to the original question. What is the gospel? Uh, in short, there's no short answer to this question. Uh, it's, there's not a bumper sticker version of the gospel. It's not found in the saccharine fever dreams of the prosperity peddlers, and it's not found in the kind of banal minutiae of American politics. The gospel is the denouement to an ancient cosmic story. We are inheritors to a world that bears witness to its own brokenness. And the gospel is the story of how God wants to fix that brokenness. The self-same brokenness that the church seems uh, is being accused of being unwilling to look at is the very brokenness that we're called to remedy. We're called to be the agents of God's activity in the earth. We're called to be the ones that feed the hungry and clothe the sick and welcome the stranger and visit the prisoner and, and give water to the thirsty. Matthew 25, I think that's all five of them. We're supposed to do that. What we could not... The, the gospel is the climax to this this, this, it, this cosmological story where we, uh, uh, where God, God created out of his goodness something that was good, and once and forever, we rejected that goodness and broke it, and that God promised to send someone to fix it, and plot twist, the person he sent to fix it is God himself. And we get to be invited to, to, to be a part of that work. 
We get to, we're invited to be agents of that work. And so it's, it's, yes, it's about personal salvation. And yes, it's about God's provision because like Carol said earlier, God wants to give us what we need when we need it. His eye is on the sparrow and, and, and you know, Jesus talks about kind of providing uh, exactly what we need, not about accumulation of wealth and not about you know, bartering goodwill for political advantage. It's, it's, it's about the goodness of God and it's about the plan, the big plan, to fix the earth. Not us leaving here and going there, but they're coming here and a new heaven and a new earth. That's the vision. And that beautiful vision is not one that I think people would reject lightly. I don't think people would walk away from that. I know, I think that I think that, that kind of uh, able gospel is what young people are looking for. A gospel that addresses the things that they see in the world. We need to hear the words of Paul that even when we're surrounded by those who are preaching the gospel from spite or malice or wrongheadedness, we remain faithful and live a life that is worthy of the gospel we have received. And not that it's uh, like, like Paul's saying that even though he's in prison, even his imprisonment is preaching the gospel, is, is spreading the gospel. And I think that that's something for us to hear too. I think that we think that uh, following Jesus means that we're kind of somehow extracted or delivered from our suffering. But following Jesus means that when we suffer, even our suffering testifies to the goodness of God. And with that, I want to go ahead and kind of invite the communion servers to come forward. Um, Philippians is not a sanguine, um, kind of rosy book uh, just for the sake of being sanguine and rosy. Paul is, I think, realistic about his current condition, and he's realistic about the condition of the church in Philippi. He's encouraging them to live a life worthy of the gospel, not as a means of deliverance from their suffering, but as a means of persevering in their suffering. And that's, I think, kind of what we're going to hear in the weeks to come as Robbie continues to preach in this series, that, uh, that this is a word of encouragement. And I know that this is heavy, and I know that this is hard. And like I said, I don't want to talk about it, but like I said, it kind of just came out, and so I, I, I'm going to follow it through and say it. Uh, even though these numbers are real, and even though this is kind of what we're up against and what we're being presented with as kind of those, uh, those opposers of the gospel, this book is about encouraging, and I want to leave you with hope that if you are for others what you've been for me, that if I could come here and even in my cynicism and even in my skepticism and even in my um, hurt, if you all can be the safe place where I can be reintroduced to Christ and his gospel, for me, if you can do that for me, you can do that for anyone. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Just like Paul encourages the church in Philippi to live a life that is faithful to the gospel, I want to encourage you, Oasis, church in Lakeland, Florida, Remain faithful to the gospel you've received. It makes a difference. It makes all the difference. It's made the difference for me, 
and it'll make a difference for others. That's what I got. Uh, communion's still being passed out, but if you would, just go ahead and stand with me. And I, I want to... Uh, I want to take communion and together I want to pray this prayer one more time that we did as our call to worship because I think kind of embedded in this prayer is the desire, a heart that does the things that we're talking about, that makes the difference that we're talking about, that is the faithfulness that we're talking about. Go ahead and take the the elements and pray with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred let me so love where there is injury pardon where there is doubt faith where there is despair hope where there is darkness light where there is sadness joy partake of the bread lift up the cup O divine master grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled, but to console, to be understood as to understand, to be love as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. Sorry, side note. I'll get better at this, I promise. I think that those three layers of the gospel, the kind of the thing that kind of ties them together, the gospel that I kind of was presented with in my youth, is that they're all about me. It's all about my personal salvation. It's all about my prosperity. It's all about my political agenda. And I love this prayer because it's, it's it's an abdication of my desires and saying, Lord, the things that I would desire for myself help me be for others. And I thought that was worth saying because just, that just occurred to me as we were praying that. I hope you're encouraged. <laughs> There's hope. If we remain faithful to the gospel that we've received, if we love the way God loves, if we, if we take the ideas in this prayer and put them in our heart, we can be the difference. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.